I started to feel really uh, conscious of, of the power of love, you know? And so many things started happening at one time, I blew my mind. Right. You know? Right. Completely blew it. And ever since I blew my mind, everything has just been so groovy. and welcome back to the Salon Podcast. This is Wyatt in Nashville, Tennessee. I hope you are all doing well wherever and whenever you are tuning in. I'm grateful for your friendship and your support. Today, long-awaited return of Will Crera and John Brody to take us behind the scenes into the creation of the Friends album. First, I want to give a huge thanks to everyone who is a member of the Salon Patreon it's over in our show notes if you're interested in supporting the show. Here are our newest patrons. Richard R., Ed Linehan, Ian Wolston, Alice Ann Alabastro, Tom Screen, Jason Eldridge, and Isaac Berryhill, who I met at our recent concert in Tyler, Texas. He had a recognizable shirt on that just said Brian in bold letters, and I Kind of had a feeling he was a podcast listener. So thanks, Isaac, for coming out. It's nice seeing you. I also ran into Matt from Beach Boys Talk when I was in Iowa last month. And I'll put a link to their website in the show notes. It's a weekly live Beach Boys Talk show with great guests. And you might want to check it out on June 14th. Mark your calendars. Okay, house cleaning out of the way. Let's be friends. Hey guys, we're back. Back again. It's been a minute since we since we talked about Wild Honey, and um, we're back to talk about one of my favorite Beach Boys albums. And one of mine. Yeah, one of yours too. Yeah. We both really like this album, um, which I know we've said for everything we've talked about, but... <laughs> I know it's weird. I feel like we've been saying for ages, like, oh, we want to get to Friends, and I've always been saying I want to get to Friends, and for some reason the last few days I've been listening to a lot of Smile, which I haven't done in a while, and like 15 big ones, and like <laughs> 2000s Brian stuff, and none of this, but I'm ready. I'm oh, ready man, to... you're, doing this, you're doing this in reverse, man. <laughs> you're listening to Friends when we were talking about Smile, and now... <laughs> I can I can switch, I can get my brain, and it'll be fine, just talk... You, you talk and I'll 
I'll remember how the songs go. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, so before we talk about the Friends album, we're going to go back a little bit. Um, as soon as the Beach Boys finished Wild Honey, they went on that tour of um, that, that November 67 tour. And as soon as they got back, Dennis had some stuff to record um, that he was working on with Billy Hinchy. Let's talk about these songs. Um, November 28th, 1967. Yeah, so, so this is basically two songs that we think were probably done for Dino, Dazzy, and Billy. And the first one that I uh, they recorded here was a thing called Away. That um, Billy Hinchy explained one time that Dennis wrote the music to the verses, he wrote the bridge, and then the rest of Dino, Dazzy, and Billy made up the words. Um, and it was supposed to be some sort of single for Dino, Dazzy, and Billy, I think. I think they were recording like an A and B side for this um, session. Um, and it's it's kind of cool. It's like the second time I've ever heard Dennis doing something in the studio and producing on his own. None of the other Beach Boys are there for this. It's him and a lot of session guys. Like Animal Crossing music. Yeah, this really. Yeah, this is definitely Animal Crossing music. This one's kind of kind of weird because it it starts out really soft and and pretty, and then there's a the bridge section that uh, apparently Billy Hinchy wrote is really dark and has these minor chords and and the the time signature changes. Yeah, I was going to talk about the time is, signature thing, which is something Brian didn't really ever do. Brian never really did it, but it became sort of a staple of Dennis's writing. If you listen mm. to anything on Pacific Ocean Blue and especially the stuff he did in the next couple of years, that's something that he experimented with a lot. Hmm. And it's it's weirdly just something that Brian never got behind because, you know, Brian was more about a song having a specific feel, and that never happened with Dennis. His songs just kind of go everywhere, and yeah. I think this is a a neat little early example, although it's very short and not finished. Yeah, it's uh, so so Dennis is playing the piano. They've got that like tape on the strings to give it a sort of muted staccato sound. Mike Deasy is on acoustic guitar. I think David Cohen on. Um, electric guitar, James Burton, the country guy who's already showed up on Cabin Essence and is going to be on a lot of Beach Boys sessions in the next few years. Uh, David Cohen is as well. He's on a lot of things Brian did in the next few years. Bill Pittman probably playing bass. And Gene Pella, who's the drummer on Time to Get Alone, is playing drums. And it, it's strange. It's kind of like it, it's a really short track. I'm not really sure what they were going to do with it. I don't know if it's going to be like copy and pasted, like Wild Honey style mm. to be a full song. It's uh, kind of interesting. And, you know, sadly, since Billy's not here anymore, we don't. With you know nobody's going to remember how the song went, what the words were, um, right? Because yeah, there cool. were lyrics. I think they yeah. had written a complete song. They just didn't record a complete song. Mm. Yeah. So I don't know. There's not a lot to say about it, but it's it's a really pretty track. It's just I don't know. It's kind of cool to hear Dennis doing something on his own at this like this early before we recognize. Um, you know, we get to the you know before we sort of really recognize him as like starting to make music. So it's right. Yeah, and um, the next track, which is on "Sunshine Tomorrow 2 is "Tune L." This one is very different. It's a it's a rocker. It's got theremin, tambourine, all that stuff. Yeah, they got uh, Paul Tanner back to do that overdub. <laughs> on it. Dennis came back to this progression a lot of times in the next 
sort of few years he did it um again there's a song called peaches and then again there's a song called before and um you know for a 71 solo album that never happened for poops um this is this is like i think uh, this, this is definitely like a sort of sergeant pepper inspired thing oh yeah for sure and it, it's it's really it's really it's really kind of scrappy um yeah dennis on piano again mm. i really like his playing because it's 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 kind of it's very sloppy compared to brian's i think it's kind of funny how he's this is very much a you know a dennis wilson kind of song and not really something that brian would record but then it's got the theremin on it it's yeah. like everything he knows is is from brian and that's such a thing that brian would do yeah there's there's not a ton to say about these things because we just don't know any you know much about them but i, I sort of get the feeling this might have been another thing co-written by billy hinchy because jumping ahead a bit they i mean obviously they never released it as you know they never finished it and they never put it out there's um a sort of weird amount of things that the beach boys were doing on the side at this sort of time like late 67 early 68 with other artists that they were maybe thinking about signing to brother records that they just never released anything right. on um if you you know if you, if you there, there are quite a few things with i can't remember like some someone called benny and sam um <laughs> Stephen Stephen Callan actually we're going to talk about soon and these guys and they just never put anything out it's um like surprising how many things that they were trying to dennis was doing some stuff with like some soul artists as well i can't remember who it was um so they never finished this but jumping ahead to january they had a session at wally hiders on january 25th where it seems like they were trying to redo this second song but in a sort of simpler form um with there's dennis on drums and then carl and billy hinchy were playing on this as well i think billy on bass there's this um great part in the session where jim locker makes this like completely incomprehensible comment like bass parts off where was it jim it was right after when uh before billy made the key change just as he made the key the part taking the melody again from the rhythm yeah it's improving so i don't know i don't know what they were doing that with that it's it's like just a, a really simple short version of the same thing and that i guess they were trying to remake but and I don't know why they were trying to remake it, because the the first one was great, and this one is just not as uh, not it's as interesting. Not nor really anything to it. So yeah, there, there's a little bit on some of Dennis's little side projects at the time, which he had more of that I think none of us have heard and none of us probably will hear. But it seems like when uh, when everyone started Brother, Dennis was kind of the one that got the most interested in seeking out other artists. And I know Carl did something with, he did like the whole Tunex thing with Billy Hinchy and um, Mike and Bruce did the, the Pickle Brothers <laughs> Oh, fuck the pickle for this. <laughs> <laughs> but um, interesting little thing there. And this is yeah before Brian is really starting to to work on the next album after Wild Honey. And um, speaking of Brian, he gets interviewed around this time for um, Rock and Other Four Letter Words. And let's talk about that interview. Yeah, it's, it's this really interesting interview that Brian did on January 11th. 
uh, with a guy called Jamaica Highwater, which is just like it's, it's it's about like 25 minutes long or something like that, and it's really revelatory. There's like it's a great window into sort of the mindset of him and the group at the time, and it's just it's it's a really sort of um, it paints a completely different picture than you know the 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 sort of widespread perception of the way Brian was going after Smile. You know, we've touched upon quite a few different bags, and I, uh, with us, it's just been a, a real experience, you know, just bouncing around all the bags, you know? Right. We just found a, a, a little way to just bounce around the bags, and it's just been so much fun. Yeah. You know? And it's just it's just nice. It's like, Brian seems to be really happy, and there's this sort of good feeling from it that, like, the Beach Boys, you know, it's not that long after Good Vibrations. They, they haven't, you know, the Smiling Smile didn't do too well. Wild Honey, I think, has just come out at this point, and this—they're uh, they're all sort of like feeling positive about the whole meditation thing, and they're all happy with each other, and they're sort of getting it back together as a group again, and really cooperating. And there's this like positive vibe from it that you know the Beach Boys are going to bounce back, and I don't know—it's you don't—you really don't get the sense that it's like doom and gloom, and they're all defeated by like not releasing Smile, and now they're just trudging through, you know, whatever afterwards. It seems like they're really happy and they're going somewhere interesting at this point and it's sort of sad to listen to as well because you, you know towards the end of 68 is when it started to fall apart and brian was really starting to step away from the group i think it's on youtube you could find the whole thing and listen to it it's a really fascinating listen if you're interested in this period which i assume you are if you're listening to this hmm. yeah and it, it's a good way to understand where where his help is at and the way to uh going up to friends as well i mean they're working on stack of tracks at this point which didn't come out for quite a while Brian's talking vaguely about drugs um, and in a sort of positive light. He's not like traumatized by his whole acid experience here. He's like, he has this one quote that's like, ever since I blew my mind, everything has just been so groovy, which is a great sentence. Um, they talk about meditation stuff. They talk about shelving smile and how much of a great experience smile smile was. Something I really like is Brian brings up pet sounds and he calls it like the peak of his orchestrating years or something like that, which is sort of an interesting, you know, the the way they're just thinking about it, uh, like the sort of small music in, in some words you could call it, um, that he's doing after Smile. He sort of thinks of Pat Towns as like the sort of peak of his big sort of ambitious years. Um, and he says he's just listened to the the album with Marilyn a few nights before and he like still really likes it. So that's kind of nice to hear. Yeah. And um, perhaps if Smile had come out, he would be saying something different, but um, I mean, we tend to take that for granted. The Beach Boys at this time had just put out Pet Sounds, and then their next album was Smiley Smile. So that's really the last thing that he felt positive about in that that sort of way. Because mm. the the Smile stuff, they were actually with the with the stack of tracks. There was a a reel that they assembled where they actually pulled out some Smile tracks and um, sort of tagged them on. So there was there were still talks about getting some smile stuff out and I think that that sort of caused some friction within the group, right? Yeah, oh that's that's something we can get into when we get to the song Friends in a while cuz this this um Brian alludes to them having this big group argument at this point in early 68 and then somewhere else in 68 there's this quote from him where he says that the group nearly broke up over not releasing Surf's up in some of those smile songs. Mm-hmm. So this I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know what happened there, but it's this sort of murky thing that's been sort of alluded to a couple of times that maybe they had like a big fight and there was a big rift over choosing to not do the smile stuff at that point. Um, 
but yeah, just kind of cool to consider that they were still it was still nothing. Yeah, there wasn't like a curse over all the material at this point. Brian Brian has just come off the back of recording that um, mysterious new version of Surfs Up and all that sort of thing. Yeah, um, yeah. At, at the time, it still wasn't an album that they that Brian was saying, "Oh, we threw that out." He mm. would say that later, but um, it was still something in the back of their minds that they wanted to eventually put out. And by they, I mean seemingly everyone but Brian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, the other thing from the interview is just it's it's sort of this is in January, a couple of months before, and it's nice to get an impression of. Um, just sort of where Brian's mind was at and what so you can kind of trace back what led to friends in a way here you know you sort of you get a sense from Brian the way he talks about everything that he sort of overcome everything he set out to do with the Beach Boys it's been like six or seven years and he sort of feels like he's musically accomplished everything he wanted to do with the group and he isn't really sure where to go next and there's a point where he even says like he's run out of ideas but at the same time he's still thinking about what the next thing could be that he wants to get into and he thinks that it's not going to be long till he writes a song about meditation and um he did and it has <laughs> foreshadowing <laughs> yeah um it was, it's not 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 a, not what he expected a song about meditation to be but it's it, i don't know it's kind of exciting to hear this stuff and realizing that the next creative move for brian was just around the corner but he wasn't really he wasn't even sure what that was going to be yeah he was just waiting for it to hit and then eventually he got into something really interesting when he started recording friends um Brian talks a bit about the Beatles and also Brian hears about apparently this is Brian hearing about the, the existence of the synthesizer for the first time ever and he's like sort of interested but not really and if that really is and he's not putting if he's not putting the guy on and this really is the first time he's ever heard about the synthesizer it's um kind of surreal yeah the guy the guy talks about how certain sounds uh could possibly be emulated in the future and Brian gets amazed by that a little bit and he goes oh wow you, then you really wouldn't need anything. You just do it all with the keyboard. Foreshadowing. <laughs> it, it's it's, it's fun, funny to hear all that getting talked about in, by Brian in 1968. Yeah, so there's sometime in late January, not long after this, Brian goes over to uh, New York with the Beach Boys to meet um, the Maharishi for the first time. And there's a few photos, great photos by uh, Lena McCartney from that little trip. I don't know, it's kind of, it's it's just neat whenever Brian leaves California, because he, he doesn't do that very much. So he sort of, not long after this interview, went off to meet the Maharishi. They got back, um, the Beach Boys did a small tour in February, and then, you know, fast forward a little bit, right as Mike is going off to India to spend some time with the Maharishi and the Beatles, learning about meditation, that's when they decide to start recording the new album. Mike is gone for almost all of the recording for this next album, which is the first time that had happened with the Beach Boys. I mean, he was really around for everything before this. They started things off sort of similarly to Wild Honey with the group doing most of the tracks themselves. So they started recording Friends in sometime in February, um, generally recording things as they had been for Smile, Smile and Wild Honey, recording things with the group. They did Little Bird on uh, February 29th, Leap Your Day. And that sort of started the sessions with Friends, the single. And then it was in the second half of March where Brian started recording quite a lot of tracks very quickly to get it together. And that's where most of the songs come from. And then sort of in the last few days of March, Mike comes back from India. And there's this really short turnaround period where they spend a few days getting vocals together and do a couple of new songs. And then 
like Riders Mike's come back, they've got to go out on tour again. And then Brian ended up finishing the album by himself in California. Um, the way that he'd done, I guess, I don't know. Is that, is that happened before? Has Brian finished the album while the others were away? I mean, he, he did some work on Pet Sounds while the others were away, but I I don't think he had finished an album like that. Yeah. So they were definitely, yeah, it's, it, they were under a lot of pressure to get this thing done like i think bruce said that once they had enough songs together it was like the record label was like right we need an album now because they were so far behind after the gap between pet sounds and smiley smile they couldn't afford to finish up the album after the beach boys had got back from that long tour which was going to last until may so brian basically you know he was still this is still really brian's album and in the 70s um i think it was in 76 brian called it his second solo album after pet sounds and it's not completely true i mean the group obviously helped out a lot in the songwriting and Dennis has got a couple of songs on there um but Brian is still the producer of this album even in in a bigger way than he, ha- he was with Wild Honey I think where he was really inviting more of them into the process and Carl this one I think Carl said that this was mostly Brian and his dad which we'll get into Murray um showing up again out of the blue in a, in a bit but Brian was really this was his album and his project and he even finished it off by himself when the others weren't there yeah um the next i mean every album from smiley smile on gets the production credit of produced by the beach boys but this is this is the last one i know we've been saying oh these albums were all really produced by brian this is the last one unfortunately until 15 big ones really that brian is completely at the helm for the entirety of the project and making all of the decisions himself yeah um and then you know, to the point, like you said, where the other guys didn't have a say in, in the final selection and, and mixing and all the stuff that he had to do while they were away. Yeah, it's it's really the last time we we'll get Brian sort of all hands on deck, like taking it through from the beginning of a project right to the end of a project for a long time. Because he, even though he obviously did a lot of work afterwards and he never stopped. And uh, there were still lots of times where he was completely in charge of his songs recording. He wasn't often seen, you know... A song right through to the final mix. Carl was generally picking up the slack a lot of the time there because he didn't, you know, he couldn't mix in stereo and he was sort of losing focus. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't taking yeah, on would, an album project from thing. start to finish. Yeah, he wasn't like leading the group in the way that he was at this point. Um, so we've got this small batch of recordings. The Beach Boys were really bad at writing down the dates on the tape boxes, so we don't know when a lot of these things were done. But we can sort of guess that, like in February, they started recording. A few things before we get to the sessions that for the songs that like came out on the album and we've got this small batch of these little homemade tracks that are very wild honey in spirit and very sort of ragtag um i guess before we can talk about them we've got one other thing we've got to talk about that we don't know when it was from which is this really lovely recording of um audrey wilson the um recording this cover of a song called is it true what they say about dixie uh, which we have no date for, but Jim Lockett was the engineer, and Dennis was in the room, and Al was there as well. And Brian just recorded her singing this short version of a song that could have been any time from Smiley Smile to Friends to 2020. Don't know when it was, but we'll just get it out of the way here. <laughs> Do you remember the old song, Is It True What They Say About Dixie? Is it true? I just what? heard somebody singing that ten minutes ago. I was, was dead. <laughs> I said, oh no, Brian's putting somebody on. No. It's Brian wants... He Something just, wants Brian to write a tune, and he's no. gonna put him on. And I but I got, can't remember. I can only remember part of it. <laughs> no. That was you. No. Well, he was putting me on because he was yeah. recording it. <laughs> All right. Is it true? 
what they say about Dixie. Does the sun really shine all the time? Do the sweet magnolias blossom round everybody's door? I don't. I don't really know why he did this, but he had his mom play a song and recorded her maybe just for her own sake kind of sweet it's really but, pretty um, yeah uh, yeah i mean she has a lovely voice you can tell she has a great voice this is the first time we've you know we've this is the first time we heard audrey singing solo by herself but yeah she has a lovely voice i mean you could tell that brian was influenced by her a lot just her singing it's it's really pretty you know if, if jack riley can get a lead vocal on a beach boys album why not you know the beach boys mom <laughs> Yeah, this 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 should have been the, the like closing track of the album. If it's true, that's what I belong. Hmm. <laughs> oh. oh, okay. But if it's is this sort of nostalgic overtone going on with the things that were doing in '68? If it was from '68, I don't know. The thing if Al says about Brian putting someone on if they wanted him to write a song tells me like maybe it was 68 because that's when Brian wasn't writing a lot um, later in the year. But um, yeah, I don't know. This this is really, this is sort of, you know, lean towards nostalgia and old songs and things like Old Man River and um, another thing coming up soon that they were getting into in 68. It's, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I would like them to use this even though they obviously we're never going to put it on an album, but hey it's sweet okay so now let's get to the music that the beach boys were recording for the album a lot of this early stuff didn't get used because brian eventually took the album in a totally different direction Hmm. and um kind of threw all these songs away but it's interesting to hear how it all started out as a kind of homemade wild honey type project so Hmm. let's talk first about i'm confessing It's it's a simple little track. It's just piano and and bass and yeah, Brian playing everything. They just Brian on piano and then he added, you know, that really buzzy organ sound and sort of rough bass track. Steve Daspel was engineering this, and we know it's in February. That's as far as we know for the date. So it's before Little Bird and all those songs. Um, so this is some sort of original, but it's um for for a while before we you know heard the thing, there was this um. I think someone said somewhere that there was a cover of the old song I'm Confessing That I Love You uh, in the Beach Boys vault from the Friends sessions and then we heard this and it was like, oh, it's actually sort of a Brian original. But um, I've got this like theory that you're on the fence about and I'm sort of on the fence about that Brian was like, wanted this is kind of a cover of the old song I'm Confessing that you know Doris Day and loads of other people did that he put completely new chords to and was going to fit the old melody and lyrics over it because there are parts of the song where you can do that and like sing it over it and it really fits perfectly um but it's a completely new set of chords and so i don't know is that what he was doing with this thing i 
would like to think so. It's called I'm Confessing. And it seems like too much of a coincidence to fit, but who knows? Yeah, it yeah. is. It, Brian does also like to pull titles from places and use them for true. his own compositions. Yeah, And he did that well. with uh, with Till I Die. I think he was first calling How Deep Is The Ocean. Yeah, yeah. Which is, of course, uh, its own song that he also produced a version of before. So... You know, who's to say? No one recorded a vocal for this, um, but mm. it's fun to make theories about it. Yeah, let's. Uh, we'll play some sort of clip. Don't know what the clip will be, but to demonstrate what maybe could have been, who knows? I'm The other thing about that track as well, the Steve Daft, Steve Daft was back on this one, who obviously became a big part of the Beach Boys in the next few years. You know, Daft was like really synonymous with the Sunflower period, but he got a start on Smiley Smile. And then I don't know, I haven't heard much about it, but you said that Brian got paranoid and um, he was in a superstitious phase. Uh, he, Brian was in a superstitious phase and then fired him for a bit, which is why he wasn't really there for Wild Honey. But he came back and he was filling in for Jim Lockett on a few of these sessions and then helping out with the vocal stuff. And then it was for 2020 is when he really took over as the group's full-time engineer. But he was here in the studio doing a few things for them at this point. Next track we'll talk about is um, an early version of what became When a Man Needs a Woman that they were just calling My Son. Oh, poor and... Connie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You have to at least be grateful that they changed the title because imagine growing up and with the song on the album called My Son. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, for some reason, just assumed he was having a son and didn't even consider the possibility that he might have a daughter, which I guess all his brothers had had sons before and mm. Mike as well. Yeah, we, do, we don't need to get into the Jack Riley Marcella story. <laughs> Not now. <laughs> <laughs> but... Yeah, there's this. Um, so there's these two <laughs> two tracks that are recorded. I think at the same session called um, "My Son" and "You're As Cool As Can Be." These were in February '68. Steve Desper was filling in for Jim Lockett again, and um, they were on a Tuesday and a Wednesday. I'm not gonna, I'm not looking at the calendar, but we've got some sort of maybe um, <laughs> potential estimate for when they did this and when these songs have been worked on. So yeah, the track for "My Son" again. It was a little homemade Beach Boys one. This time, not just Brian. It was um, Alan, Carl, and Dennis were on this as well. And it's a really cool little track. It's a very scrappy track. It sounds like it's going to fall apart at any minute, but it's got a fun it's little... The most, um, it's the most overtly country thing they've yeah, done. Yeah, it's got this this real yeehaw feel, and for the first time ever <laughs> on a on a Beach Boys record, you've got Al Jardine playing banjo, which is amazing. I, lo- I love when Al plays banjo. We don't get enough of it. Me but... too. So we have, <laughs> on the basic track, I should note as well that most of the session tapes we haven't heard for this album, but our good um, pal, the, the granddad of <laughs> Beach Boys session research, that's horrible, I shouldn't call him that, um, Craig Slewinski, who's, um, he heard a lot of the session tapes for this back in 2018 when they were compiling the set, and uh, he's really kindly shared all of his notes that he took during the sessions um, with us, so we've got a good idea of what went on. You know, some things probably need a, you know, 
looking into again in the future. But we've got a good idea of pretty much everything that they did in these sessions because of Craig's notes. So mm-hmm. uh, we're not pulling it out of a hat. And this isn't us as well. It's all thanks to him for to actually know what was going on in these tracks. So the basic track for this was Brian on... Um, sorry, no. Alan Banjo. Carl playing acoustic guitar, which they didn't use. They wiped off. Uh, Brian, I think, playing like a stand-up bass, which is the only time he's ever done that on a session that we know of. Not very well, but hey, he's doing it. <laughs> and then Dennis was apparently late for the session and then showed up to play some percussion, which sounds like... I don't know what you said. It was like a castanet, and he's got some bongos, which don't sound like they were mic'd up very well. No, nothing really sounds like it was mic'd very well. This is kind of a bad-sounding track. Yeah, and I think it may be... I mean, Desper, obviously, I was just listening to the Spring album the other day, which is one of the best-sounding albums, like, ever by anyone. Um, so I'm not, like, this isn't, like, Steve Desper slander, but he was early... He, this was, like, early days for him engineering sessions by himself, and the early 2020 stuff as well sort of has that same strangely murky hissy um sound to it so when jim locker right. comes back in the sessions they start sounding a lot cleaner <laughs> so there's kind of this desperate signature on a, f- a couple of these things that makes them sound a bit loose um so yeah so then they wiped off the rhythm guitar and al played like a rhythm banjo instead and then this is this is sort of scrappy overdub in the chorus because this was again a really short track i think they were probably going to copy and paste it with a tape loop Wild Honey style to edit it into a full song that was just first chorus, first chorus. So Brian's playing his classic detune piano with uh, the tape strings taped down to get that staccato sound. There's another acoustic guitar and there's a 12-string guitar played by Carl and then there's this, like, moo sound. I don't know how to describe it. It sounds like a cow. I mean, you thought it was, like, a bass sliding up or something. Yeah, so- sounds like that to me. Yeah, yeah, it's probably that, but it, I just always think of that as the Moo, the Moo overdub. <laughs> um, and then it breaks down and Dasp is like, do you want to do another one? Because it sounds like Carl made a mistake. And then apparently they didn't. That was actually a master take that they were going to use. So, uh, very interesting little track. And then recorded, I think, the same day or the day after. Worked on at the same time, at least. It's on the same tape. Is a track that was released on the box set as You're As Cool As Can Be 2, but as far as we know, this was actually the first version of this piece of music. And this is a weird one. This is a strange little song. got a, a neat little chord progression that's sort of circular but then it shifts into another key and it's just this repeating little progression that modulates five times and ends it's only a minute long and it just it's the same just keeps changing key and changing key and changing key and then it stops i don't know if this was going to be another copy and pasted sort of repeated thing um, weird weird little song i yeah. i would love to know it's it's a bummer they didn't they didn't take this stuff and uh work on it further or or redo them with session people i mean obviously when a man needs a woman they did but yeah. i'd love to know how this how this melody went this is a weird one. Oh, i know yeah i mean i've sort of gotten <laughs> based on the album confession thing i've got maybe gotten a theory for that but that fits at least but that's only speculation um because they did he did brian did do something else with this song a couple of times later but this original version of it um 
according to Craig, the original, the first take was Brian on a clavinet, which, ooh, we need to talk about the keyboard situation soon because they, they got some new toys <laughs> in these sessions. That yes, I did. They did. Um, so the first take was Brian on, on a clavinet and Carl on bass, and then it switched to Carl playing a 12-string guitar and Brian on bass for the rest of it. And then on top of that, they overdubbed drums, which were Dennis because he was hanging out at the session. These real bad-sounding drums. Um, that like they're in the next room or something. Um, it's, I think Brian overdubbed a standard bass again on top of this, which is why it sounds really sort of like it's got a really murky like driving bass sound. Um, mm-hmm. There's a Chamberlain which they last use on Wild Honey to get the um, the rooster sound and the trumpet sound on Country Air, and they really didn't use that Chamberlain very much. They, you know, all the groups were sort of experimenting with Mellotrons whenever they could get one, but the Beach Boys had this thing in the studio and they. Hardly ever used it, and it's um, but on this, I don't, I don't know what that sound is. It sounds like I don't know if it's a guitar or a flute sound or something. But Brian's playing this spooky little lead line on top of the track, which gives it this I don't know. It's this sort of nice airy sort of feel to it. And uh, again, there's a clavinet on on the track as well, just playing these like low sort of downbeat chords. And that's it. It's simple DIY sort of even looser than wild honey yeah um but yeah i guess not much to say except for what you've covered so yeah let's let's move on to the next track they did possibly which is um this is a total guess we've got no dave whatsoever for this one you could call it time to get alone but it's more like a new song that has it's got the, the chorus time to get alone chorus yeah. yeah the verse is a completely different piece of music which uh has much more you know menacing chords a lot less love songy they had a full track for time to get alone and some vocals with uh, you know strings and and everything and all this percussion and mm. that amazing version from Wild Honey and then Brian just rewrote the song so it's it's something that he's clearly still not satisfied with and, and working on continuously but it's uh, this this is a weird one yeah and um, it's it's just kind of I wonder why there's no vocals I'm thinking that there might be no vocals on any of these tracks because maybe they were waiting for Mike to come back to do the vocals or something like oh that's a good call yeah Mike was gone throughout all of this so he wasn't he wasn't around to co-write things or to mm. sing on anything so that's a good point yeah so maybe it was because of that we get the feeling this was probably maybe in towards the end of February as well before they did Little Bird and the whole album to change direction but we've got no date on this whatsoever um Craig hasn't heard the track, the, the session tape for this one. This is one of the only ones that there are no notes on, but it's Brian on piano. There's a 12 string guitar, um, doubling the bass line, and uh, I think two two basses on this thing. Um, very loose track again, very unfinished sounding. And then. Yeah, and it's it's all the Beach Boys playing this stuff. Yeah, I think just Brian, Carl, and Al are on these tracks. And then yeah. recorded the same day, they did a cover, a cover of uh, Rock and Roll Woman by Bruff- Buffalo Springfield, who they'd just done like a small tour with in February. So that's probably the reason they were doing this song. And then in 69, they did a really great live version of it with Carl and lead. Um, but they've got this unusual, very scrappy track that, you know, it's, it's uh, there's yeah, no drums. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's weird, because that's such a... 
kind of a, a driving rock song, and then the version that they do here is loose and, and slow and, and gentle, weird. track again no notes on this but there are two guitars playing the lead riff and harmony um will be carving out and brian is like talking throughout that entire track you can hear him off in the background um this is just how loose this thing is i don't know what he's talking about it's too quiet to hear but he's just won't shut up um there's like this really loose piano um sort of just hitting random chords every now and again that drops in and out um sort of a couple of other rhythm guitars are have been added on top of it and then there's a bass overdub that drops in and out again it's very loose it's very hard to tell how seriously they were taking this thing yeah and the tempo isn't very consistent all the way through no it's not it's probably because they try to it's weird do without drums using... with two, two yeah. guys playing the lead guitar figure is like yeah, the we're, starting we're point that they that they didn't just put dennis on all this stuff and get him behind the kit again but yeah he was not around for a lot of wild honey too they overdubbed a lot of those drums so mm. maybe that was in the works in the plans i mean but um yeah you know, who knows yeah and then again no dates for this but we know that the next thing that they did because it's on the same tape and this might have been the same day or it might have been another day is a new song called transcendental meditation which hey brian said he was going to write this song about meditation here we are and it was always called uh, transcendental meditation as well i know it was given like the subtitle new song on the box set but that's because of another thing it was this was always you know transcendental meditation it just went through quite a heavy evolution by the final version on the yes, friends album. Yes, and this is a very different sounding version to the one that very different, yeah. That we know that actually did come out on Friends. This is the Beach Boys playing everything again. Mm. Brian going for a very different vibe now that he's writing something about meditation, <laughs> and a vibe that he's gonna shift dramatically later. Mm. And it's got that whole bridge section, that little instrumental part with Al playing the banjo once again. There's like some early takes of this on the end of that tape with Rock and Roll Woman and Time to Get Alone where it was apparently um, piano, bass and drums and then on the second tape they did some new takes which Craig says were just Brian on piano and Carl on bass and then they added the rest. So we've got, it must be Bruce playing the organ, that's a very Brucey organ. Um, this fantastic sort of like tremoloed electric guitar part which is again sort of a new sound. We've really, we're getting away, I think we, we talked about this with um, Jocelyn who's Hosington, who's, you know, top Beach Boys musicologist, pal of ours, who, you know, we tend to go through all this stuff with and had this, you know, just observation about the way the Beach Boys really stopped doing, like, direct guitar sounds at this point, and they get into, like, you know, the guitar sounds on, on Friends and the 68 stuff is, and some of Wild Honey, there's not a lot of guitars on Wild Honey, but it's very different from all the pet sounds in Summer Days and even Smile Things now. Like, they get into these sort of mellow, amplified guitar sounds in the room a lot of the time and using effects on them and stuff and I don't know it's just it's it's fun to track these sort of complete shifts in the way that they're approaching different instruments um 
again, I'll play in the banjo and then it's with the drums that make it feel really like a, something on Wild Honey or like Love You or something, like smacking the snare. It feels very not friends in the same way that the final TM feels very not friends in a yeah. completely different and way. This song just harmonically definitely feels like Brian trying to go in a different direction, like mm. deliberately trying to make something sound Eastern or Indian and, you know, in a song about transcendental meditation, which he's just learned from the Maharishi. Yeah, totally. But it's not, it's just like, it's not what you, it's not what anybody else was doing at this point. It's not like Satal no, music. And it's, it's, it also has, um, you know, it's got like his detuned piano and banjo. <laughs> so it's, it's a completely unique sound. Mm. And, um, I would love I do wish a lead that they finish this. this one. Yeah, I'd love a lead vocal. Yeah, on yeah. This track. They, they put some vocals on this one. They did some some backing vocals. Oh, so, uh, so, they didn't they didn't do the the lead because perhaps like you said they were waiting for Mike to get back and yeah. add some lyrics or whatever. Yeah, but, something like that. And there's everybody besides Mike is singing in the backing vocals. We think. Um, what do we land on? It was like Bruce Al, Brian, Carl, and Dennis like on five parts, and then Brian and Carl are like Dublin like the second lowest part together or something like that. Yeah, um, I, I, yeah. I don't remember the. I don't remember. <laughs> I've got a, I've got that written. I've got that written down, but we didn't. We haven't gone back to that one since we've like got better ears. So, but <laughs> yeah, um, so interesting little track here. Yeah, it's, I would guy. I would love a lead vocal in this song. It's um, yeah. It's a bummer, man. All the music we've talked about so far is not finished. I know. And I, I love the final TM with like all my heart. It's fantastic. And, you know, some people don't like it. I love it. But this one, it's, it's, so, it's so different in the way that it's got more to it. There are more musical sections. And the way it kind of mood shifts from like that frantic sort of like, you know, the organ sliding up and down. And then it goes into the creepy thing with the banjo. And then it's like this really blissful, like peaceful thing with the group vocals. It's maybe, I don't know if, for all that, for all I do love the big band's crazy ten saxophones <laughs> insanity thing that um, Brian ended up doing, I really would love it if they finished this or if like redid it with studio musicians in the same you know the same sort of arrangement. Because um, it's just you know the way it goes through so many different moods and it feels like more of a complete piece of music and a complete thought. Um, we we love yeah, it. Yeah, I mean the final version is is very yeah. you know it's not as nearly as dynamic as this one it's just sort of loud and and <laughs> and wants to attack you it's, all the way through it's insane but it's it's beautiful <laughs> yeah and, and this one for sure it's got that that instrumental part that doesn't show up in, in the final one mm. with the banjo which i think is hilarious um in the minor key it, a, a lot of these elements like the melody itself with like the flat um five in it it seemed like brian intentionally trying to create something that sounds like what you'd expect to hear in a song about meditation mm. anyways cool track yeah really cool track um so i guess that's sort of like that's that's the batch of diy tracks that we don't know much about from before they changed direction the sessions really took off into what we know as friends but to get to the next part we've got to rewind a bit and talk about a guy called Stephen kalanich uh, your best friend <laughs> Yes. Um, so, Stephen Kolnich was a, a poet. He had recorded a few things before under a different name. And um, he had worked with P.F. Sloan. And Sloan was kind of his idol, and so was Brian Wilson. And he came to California, and he wanted to work with the Beach Boys, essentially. That was his goal. So, somehow, he got in touch with them, and they were all interested in him. Um thought his poetry was neat, thought he was just an interesting character, which he is. <laughs> Very and, interesting. <laughs> and um, 
So Carl produced a session for him, which we haven't heard, I don't think. No, we haven't. We've got... Um, this is the same day Brian did that interview where um, Carl was driving. I don't know if they were actually going up to the studio to do that. It was on January 11th. Um, maybe. Yeah, maybe. But uh, they were... Do you want to... Can you pronounce the name of the duo that he was in? Uh... uh Zarathustra and Thelebus. Thelebus. Yeah, Thelebus yeah, is what was throwing me. Okay. Z- Zarathustra and Thelebus. I don't know. He told me one time and I, I was like, <laughs> Yeah. So, so, so St- Stephen and uh, his musical partner, Mark Buckingham, had this duo called Zarathustra and Thelebus. It really rolls off the tongue. But they were sort of, yeah, That's, they were sort of being pitched, I, designed to Brother Records as like a Simon and Garfunkel type folk duo uh, thing. And that's that's what he was. They were doing at the time. And uh, Carl produced this session for them that we haven't heard anything from, where they did versions of uh, "Leaves of Grass," "Magic Hand," and "If You Knew," um, which we've heard versions of these things, but none of what they recorded here. You know, "Magic Hand" on uh, "Magic Hand," and "If You Knew" were on the Stephen Carnage "Will the Peace Must Come" poetry album, with Brian sort of produced these uh, poetry reading versions, and then "Leaves of Grass." There was a bonus track that I think he did in like '65 or something. It was like an earlier version of the thing. Um, and I don't, I don't think they finished these tracks, but and uh, that just reminded me of a fun thing that you know John did this like great two hour long interview with Stephen Carlinich, which is it was so fun. Like he's, Carlinich, he's he's such a, he's such a lovely guy. He will talk about anything you ask him about like in depth, and at the drop of a hat, we'll go off on some tangent about his galactic symphonies, and <laughs> <laughs> he's he's he's, a, he's 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 brilliant. But um, yeah, he's he's a nice guy, really really interesting guy. I don't think I would put that whole interview out because there was a lot of rambling uh not just from him but from both of us we could potentially and use a bit of it if it's if it, you know he was okay with maybe. that um and there's some good stuff he was there. he was yeah he told me some things he didn't he didn't want me to mention but he <laughs> he was like oh put that anywhere he he loves being asked about his music and his work with the beach boys yeah. so if you if you guys ever want to reach out to him he's on instagram and all that stuff and twitter and yeah he loves he loves talking about his work so and he i i really do like his work as well and if you, if you know that if you you know if you just listen to him talk it really makes a lot more sense and he is listen to uh, like his poetry um yeah yeah i'm just thinking about the version of if if, if you knew on the world of peace must come album because i was so intrigued by that indian sort of back and track behind it for a long time and then uh you asked him about that and he said it was, it was just brian taping something off the radio um, <laughs> yeah, an Indian radio station. Yeah, I was for so long. I was like, oh man, I thought Brian did some real Indian music, but hey, I guess I guess nope. not. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they did that, and then I, I, you 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 probably know better than me the story of how Little Bird came about and him writing some things with Dennis. Yes, so Dennis around this time, like we said, was interested in all these other artists, and he had ambitions outside of the Beach Boys, and and um you know took took uh took interest in, in a whole bunch of different artists and he really took to to Kulinich and they they became friends and um right away they they wrote a song together which is little bird and the way they wrote this is Stephen had a a poem that he'd already written didn't you write it and didn't you write dennis the poem at dennis's house with dennis there like yeah so it was it was dennis putting music to a poem um not yeah i guess a poem that he wrote while he was there and, um, I mean, really, this song started off as just a, a short little simple melody, which is the opening verse. And, but the fact of the matter is most of the music that you hear in the song came from Brian. 
um, a lot more than I think people realize. In yeah. fact, if if you take it for you know, if you look at the the music in the in terms of how long it lasts in the song, most of the song it's is about, Brian. It's about sixty forty Brian. Yeah. So Dennis had this little melody that he had written to um, Coleridge's poem, and he, I guess, this is like the first full song he's written musically, and he he brought it to Brian, and um, according to to Stephen, Brian immediately liked it and sat down at the piano and just wrote the bridge right there. So I'm sitting at Dennis's piano on 14,400 Sunset, the old uh, estate of Will Rogers, mm-hmm. of the house. And that little bird we wrote in the main house, be still we wrote in the little house, the cabin. So little bird, Dennis was upstairs taking a shower, something like that. And I was sat at the piano and I looked out the window this is legendary now. Uh, every time I might tell a little different because I remember other things. I was in love with Renee. I didn't put that in the original notes when they, it, I thought of it later in life, but it's very important. So everything was bursting with love. That's where I wrote rainbows in that same yard, but at a different time. Mm-hmm. And I looked out through the window and there was a little bird, the same one, like it looked like a robin with a red kind of breast. And I saw the bird on the branch of the tree, and the whole song came to me like a Zen post. The little bird up in a tree looked down and sang a song to me of how it began. The trout in the shining brook gave a warm and loving look and told me not to worry about my life. So the original, so don't worry about your life. Before things become real, they are first in your mind. A love thought draws others of its kind. Now that didn't make it to the final cup, but that was the original. So already yes. way before the Maharishi and the New Age movement, I was doing, it was channeling to me. It was like a Zen moment. It came to me in a flash at the piano. The only word he didn't like, which I left out, the original word, free from toil, free from strife. He didn't like the word strife, Dennis, even though I was trying to talk about human strife, because I think it's important to recognize it. So I changed it. And he instantly put the music. The little bird up in a tree looked up, and he instantly. That was wow. the first start of it on the piano. And then, when we were going in to record it, Brian called me and I. They played the the bridge, which wasn't in the original. Where's my pretty bird? I had those words somewhere, but he changed the melody. And, and you see how in your life. The bird, the consciousness, the love you want, what you seek is all there. But it seems like that your bird or your consciousness is flying away from you. But if I keep singing, if I keep being still, keep doing my consciousness and my music, that he, he'll he come back someday. Oh, hopefully, okay. he'll, hopefully he'll come back. So were those your words then? Yes. That part? Okay. Yes. So those were your words, but then Brian kind of shaped the melody and added yeah. new music yeah, to it. I'm trying it. to think besides if there's that. There might, like... Other parts of the song? I think 99% were my words, except Dennis did cut out strife. Yeah, the so the, the what a day part, like the what a day, oh, what a beautiful day it is, that sort of reharmonization of the melody also came from Brian. And the, mean, Dennis the, really had just like the... The na-na-na Two, parts two measures well. of... Yeah, Dennis really had just like two measures of melody <clears throat> over and over again to this poem mm. that Brian 
took and completely transformed into this I mean, we think, song with we, such we a think crazy anyway, structure. Yeah, we think anyway, because I was looking at what he said, and Stephen, basically what he said, he, he couldn't make the session, and then he, he thinks that Brian added that bridge in, in the studio, but I, d- I don't know if he's like explicitly heard from Brian that like he wrote it, but he thinks he did anyway. He thinks Dennis didn't write that, but I don't know if mm. he's like like witnessed or definitely yeah, knows he that. Said, but I think it, I think it, it probably did come from Brian. We know the rest of the song, like from the the cello break out to the fade and the little child's part, father of the man part towards the end is, is all Brian stuff. Yeah, he's he said a few different things over the years, mm. um, so it's it's hard to know exactly how the the writing process went between the three of them. But mm. yeah, yeah. E- either way, it comes out that Brian wrote most of the song musically and decided to to um, not take any credit for it in order to encourage, I guess, Dennis becoming a, a songwriter. He said it was like a gift to him, which Dennis's evolution throughout 68 was more interesting when you think of how much Brian contributed to Little Bird because where Dennis was at this time was like, be still. It, he was still like not shooting too ambitious, but then he picked it up and started producing on his own towards the end of 68 with different mentors like um, Roger Newman, the horn guy, who helped arrange some things with him, and um, someone else who... Um, someone else, believe it there. Um, he, so you know, he he really picked up and he really evolved very fast. But this is Brian gave him a real lift towards um, this song at the beginning, and then Dennis really took off from there. So it's not to like diminish Dennis's contributions, because I think it becomes more interesting when you trace how fast he really grew and evolved from here. But um, this was, you know, Brian did a lot on the song and didn't take credit for it. And then when they got in the studio, this was February 29th. It was on the leap year day. This is when the friend sessions, I guess, really begin, like the direction the album's going to take. And um, I don't know if you want to talk about this. This is the first time Brian's called in session musicians for a basic track. And he continues to use them on a lot of these tracks for the first time since Smile. So Smiley Smile and Wild Honey, he, besides a few overdubs, he hadn't recorded in this style since May 67. And this is like picking up right where we left off, sort of. Exactly. So all of those tracks that we talked about just sort of get tossed aside and this song, Little Bird, begins a a whole new type of music um, for Brian and he starts calling on the same session guys, not exactly the same group that he was using before. Mm. Yeah, a whole new For for some reason, people like uh, a lot of the regulars like Hal Blaine and Ray Pullman just don't get called upon whatsoever. Oh, yeah. Um, it's it's a whole new little crew he gets assembled here. Like his regulars, Jim Gordon is on a lot of stuff. Um, Norm Jeffries, Lyle Ritz, is, Lyle Ritz is the one from the old days who's on pretty much everything here. He's on most of the sessions. Um, Alvis Govo, great steel guitarist and regular guitarist who plays on loads of stuff from here on out. Um, people like mm-hmm. you know, David Cohen, the country guitarist, becomes one of Brian's main guys. Um, Jim Ackley plays keyboards on a few of these things. Um, trying to think of who else. Um, yeah, he sort of assembles a new sort of little default crew that he goes to for these sessions, and it's great. Uh, by the end of the sessions, it's like they have a... There's almost like a reward as he has this sort of... The three guys he's using the most, Jim Ackley, Lauritz, and Alvis Govo, end up jamming together and making mm-hmm. up a song. It goes on the album, and it's it's great. I love this crew. I love this little sort of band of musicians that he brings together for these sessions. Um, I guess Diane would have been in charge of calling them up and choosing the musicians for this stuff, but Yeah. From here on out, the album kind of takes a, a different approach to not just to Wild Honey, but to what he was doing before with session musicians. And yeah, it's, it's ca- kind of gets away from like the the Wrecking Crew rock and roll sound, which was you know still even there 
in Smile, despite some of the the weirdness on that material, mm. and it, it it goes toward a more traditional, um, sort of jazzy, uh, folksy sound, which is what what these guys are used to playing. Anyways. Yeah, he's he's like letting drummers play what they would normally play, and like the guitarists are doing sort of their own improvised licks and things like that. Yeah, no more smacking the floor tom and snare on <laughs> two and four. Yeah, yeah, no more of that. There's normal drumming on this album now, <laughs> not the Brian Wilson interpretation of drumming. Yeah, but um. So, so, so on this track, we started off with Alvis Govo playing banjo, Carl's playing electric guitar with this unusual sounding guitar again. The guitar sounds are very different to anything he's done before at this point. These nice little sort of like stabby chords. Uh, Lara Ritz is playing a Fender bass. He didn't really play a lot of standard bass in this um, album, and they didn't. Brian didn't go back to using two basses very much from here on out. He, he tends to be yeah, yeah. one guy on bass, but the bass sound in this song's fantastic. It's a perfect bass sound, even though the line's really simple. It's and then uh, Jim Gordon's doing this great drumming that's almost like, oh, I don't know, someone compared it to like, it's a very modern sounding drum beat, um, very moody. And then two cellists are on this as well, Raymond Kelly and Jacqueline Luscott. One, Dennis was watching this session. He was up in the booth with Jim Lockett, but Dennis like doesn't say a word throughout the entire thing. He speaks like once. Brian was down on the studio floor producing the whole thing. Really, he arranged it when it came out as as a B side. It had the credit arranged by Brian Wilson, even though the production wasn't was still to the Beach Boys. Uh, you didn't see that for a while later, but they sort of acknowledged his. You know, he was still at least comfortable with acknowledging that he did arrange these tracks. But yeah, this is a real. This is basically a complete Brian Wilson production. Yeah, in, in the same sense of the word as, as anything that had come before, you know, pet sounds and, and and all that. And of course, the ending is completely pulled from Child is Father of the Man. Yeah, it's a, with the, the, with the uh, drum. Same it's got the snare rolls and... And the trumpet line. Yeah, yeah. So, it's again, just there's an interesting look into the way Brian was working the musicians here. Like, with the cellos were sort of making up what they did on the fly. Like, Brian was kind of just there with them talking to them saying hey what you, these are the chords what do you want to do there and it, it's an interesting window into the way that you work with these musicians which more and more in the late 60s was getting on their ideas it's uh it's there's this fun dynamic going on where you compare brian's late 60s stuff when he's working with session musicians to when he's working with the beach boys with the beach boys he's so specific like he tells them everything that he wants them to play and there's like almost no room for improvisation he wants like he's very specific the way he's always been but with the session guys he kind of he's open to their ideas but he doesn't want the beach boys ideas um <laughs> yeah well i mean he's he's worked with these guys long enough to where he trusts them yeah and all their their musical sensibilities and that's um why friends sounds a lot different mm. than a lot of albums before it's because brian is sort of um letting people you know, he's not letting other people arrange. He's still very much arranging the tracks, calling for what instruments are there and what generally they, they do. But um, the drums are all 
like standard drumming. Yeah. Um, like you said, there's only like one bass on each track. It, it's it's a move toward, I guess. <laughs> I don't want to say normal music, but it's it's, it's definitely um, not normal music because nothing. It's sounds definitely like getting out of the uh, the um, like what was considered the Brian Wilson sound at that time. Yeah, it totally. sounds. It doesn't sound like Pet Sounds or Smile or mm. or even. Um, you know, Smiley Smile or Wild Honey. Oh, it's, yeah. it's like a whole new thing. And oh, it, yeah. It's, um, There's a lot of smile on this track in particular, more than the rest of the album. This one's got a lot of smile DNA, but even then it's yeah. like moving to something completely new out of it. And it's got a banjo in it. Yeah, it's got a banjo. It's got more yeehaw. <laughs> I need to stop calling it that, but Little Bird. So they did quite a lot of takes picking this up from the bridge to the end and then edited together the master take. Um... Onto that, they, the first thing they overed up was the trumpets. They got four trumpet players in this. Some of it wasn't used, that sort of nice, like, ascending and descending. Well, it's just two notes in the verses. Though. I think it makes sense that they didn't use that in the final mix because it would have overshadowed the vocal melody a little bit, but it's cool to hear. Um, they do some kind of surf soppy things in, in the bridge. And then towards the, the final bridge, it's hard to talk about the structure of the song because it's like it's almost like through composed at a certain point. It just sort of keeps changing and changing and changing after the first yeah. few verses. Um, but that final, we'll call it the child section at the end, the child bridge um, with the snare rolls and all that. You you get this um, Harmon mute trumpet just by itself that I think was probably Ollie Mitchell was one of the four trumpeters. And I think he was probably there because Brian wanted him to do what he did on Child's Father of the Man like a year and a bit earlier. It's the child's baby cry wah-wah trumpet. Yeah, it's back. It's back, and it's really cool. <laughs> it is really cool. Yeah. I like how you how you mentioned the, the structure of this song is, is seemingly through composed, which mm. is probably a result of this being a song started by someone else that Brian had to finish. Yeah, totally. Which yeah. doesn't which doesn't happen a lot because, it, I mean, when Brian collaborates with someone, he writes the music, and for some reason he just didn't really collaborate with them as much. This is like their one song that they, they wrote together. I until wish they like did. The yeah. <laughs> early eighties. <laughs> yeah. I know. I wish they did. Cause the, the, it's a great mix of, you yeah. know, you've got the Moody Dennis thing going into Brian's, you know, sort of cohesive, like, I don't know, tightness, I guess. Brian is very, um, economic with the way he arranged and structured things. And, I don't know. It's it's a great it's a great mix of moods. You go from like the the moody Dennis thing to the the nananas and the yeah. It's like moody, and then there's just like a burst of just like joy. Yeah. When we get to the Brian part, it's great. But I, I I it seems to me like Dennis needed a kind of a push to get going with the songwriting, and he you know recorded some things that we've just talked about that he didn't finish, and recorded some other things that we've never heard. And when Brian did this, it was like there you go. You can do this now. Yeah. And from then on out, he wrote so many songs in the late sixties and all throughout the seventies. Mm. And I, I think he just kind of didn't work with Brian because he didn't need to. He had a lot of respect for Brian and no grudge against him, but he very much wanted to make it on his own and feel like he was, you know, doing it off yes. his own back. Yeah. So anyway, back to the track. So the cello is on the basic track, something Brian evidently decided he didn't like him. So he, got rid of those cellos and then on an overdub with a lot of people playing together they added a banjo played by Alvis Covo um new cello parts Lyle Ritz joins them on that great little sort of solo part in the um the instrumental break where he's doubling on a stand-up bass like an octave below them and uh another great little touch on this overdub that's one of my favorite little arrangement touches on this album is um jim gordon plays like two notes on a glockenspiel at the end of the bridge going back into that verse and it's so like 
magical feeling and it's it's such a tiny tiny little thing it only happens for such a short part of the song but it just makes that little section like the little sparkle and one other thing they added on top of it which again is a new thing in the beach boys sort of arsenal of keyboards is uh harmonium which probably played by brian because he was producing it and this is in most of the sections he played in um which i don't know if you for anyone who doesn't know harmonium is like a pump organ like where it's like kind of accordion-ish where you've got to pump air into it but i think the type that the beach boys tended to use was this um packard harmonium that they rented from studio um oh, what do you call it the, the, this is place that they tended to rent a lot of instruments from in la and they used this thing on things like day in life of a tree and it's this big foot pump organ um which gets this great sort of sparkly sound and what it comes to the the arrangement at the end of it um from this sparse basic track the way it was built up it's um such a just this great contrast of instruments you know it starts with like the electric guitar stabs and like the droning cellos and then suddenly there's like a shift and you get um like an acoustic guitar and a banjo and like this shiny organ it's like the entire thing shifts into a different mood and out of nowhere and then they sort of combine in different parts and it's a great arrangement the the backing track mix on the 68 set is fantastic it is and it's it's got those extra trumpet parts that are yeah yeah just like muted in the in the final mix Mm. so let's let's talk about the vocals to this so at this point mike is still gone and is going to be gone for quite a while and they just sort of go ahead with the with the album and do this this track without him so everyone but mike sings on this dennis sings the lead besides those few parts where um carl pops up like the the what a day bridge Mm. and um God, the, the vocal arrangement on this is just so so neat. It goes through so many different moods and phases, like the track itself. The trout in the shiny brook gave a woman love and look and told me not to worry about my life. The na-na-na parts are, what, two people on each part? Right? Yeah, Alan Bruce in the high part and a- Brian and Carl on the bottom part. Even though it all sounds like Brian. <laughs> I was tricked at first. I was like, is that just like a whole lot of Brian's? But it's, no, it's four of them. It's just Brian and Carl are singing the low part, oddly, and then Alan Bruce are on the high part. Um, in the in the bridge, this, this is the thing about the song when we started breaking down the vocals. They change the vocal stack in every single little part of the song. Like every single little bit, they sing with like yeah. a different person it's in a different like they order. Were, like they for were fun. taking it piece like, by piece. The song the song is so um, segmented that every every section was kind of treated like its own little song. Yeah, but it's like they didn't have to do this. But it's like they're changing the order of the harmony stack to get different blends for like for fun. I guess it's the only time I think, I think they ever did this. But it's. Um, so in the in the bridge, the way they've got that great sort of build up, it's um starts with Dennis on the lowest part and then Brian comes in above him, then Carl comes in above him, then Bruce comes in above that, and then Al like doubles Brian on like the middle bit. And then from then on Dennis doesn't sing on the rest of the song. After the bridge and uh, the well the final verse, when it goes to Carl's what a day part, Dennis isn't there for the whole rest of the song. He's sort of just dipped, I guess, for the backing vocals. And uh, it's just Brian, Al Carl and Bruce do the rest. So Behind the water day part, I don't know if anyone wants to hear this, but I'm going to read it anyway because I've got a list in front of me. We spent too long working this out. So this behind the water day part, the use there. Al sings the high part, and then it's Brian, then it's Colin, then it's Bruce. During the cello um, solo, Brian sings the high part, then Bruce, then Al, then Carl. During that 
Charles Father of the Man Bridge. Um, Brian sings the high part, then Al, then Carl, then Bruce. Again, different order again. And then that final tag part, um, Brian sings the high part, then Carl, then Bruce, then Al. So it's like they're swapping every single little bit just to change the blend up. And uh, she talk about that tag, the little bird looked down and sang a song to me with, the, with those crazy little invisible jazz chords that last like, <laughs> you go by so quickly. A little bird looked down and sang a song to me. A little bird looked down and sang a song to me. A little bird looked down and sang a song to me. Yeah, I mean, it's such a such a different approach to arranging vocals that Brian takes on this album. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of that is because Mike is gone. Mm. And so all these parts are like voiced up so high. Dennis isn't on the ending. So it's just like the, the four Beach Boys that sang high parts and they're they're singing these tight little dissonant jazz chords over that ending which you hear you hear the track on its own and it's just a simple little yeah minor chord progression and then and then they put those vocals on and if you ever listen to the vocal mix on its own on um on the wake the world release it's really incredible stuff that they're doing there yeah it's hard to hear in the mix but it's Oh my god! I need. We, so need we, we should play your like piano sort of transcription of the of what they sing there because it's so like you can't even really hear it over the the, the backing track when that's playing underneath it. It's only when you get to the yeah. vocals only you can really hear what those harmonies are doing because it's yeah. Just play the the vocals only there. Yeah, yeah it's it's my favorite part of the song. Mm. The um, my my yeah my favorite part's the child's pop, but just because I love those those harmonies um, and the way it kind of goes down and the way the lyrics sort of just flow together and yeah. it's it's so satisfying. I always look forward to that part. And it's yeah, one of the best I mean, vocal blends they ever had. It's, it's true. I, but really, the best part of the song is just the, the contrast and the juxtaposition between the, mm. the, the, the moody Dennis bits and the, um, all the triumphant, joy, joyous stuff that Brian added to the song. Yeah. But it, it, just lyrically, it all comes together so well. It's, it's, it's such a great song. Amazingly, Bruce hates this thing. <laughs> this is an interview where um, we, we we love Bruce um, sometimes, but <laughs> he hates everything. <laughs> he hates everything. No, he, he likes Smiley Smile. He says it sounds like music for sliding around in socks, and so uh, that's <laughs> he has some he has some correct opinions. But yeah, he was like, is this interview where he talks about how he turns the Friends album like wimpy, even though he's the guy who writes like Deirdre and Disney Girls or whatever. But uh, yeah, he's like he loves the title track. Fair enough you should the title track's fantastic but he was like called little bird like he was didn't made like a snoring noise um when you talk about that like what, what are you talking about bruce <laughs> come on <laughs> I, like how you, I like how you said he has some correct opinions well <laughs> opinions can be correct <laughs> some of them are when it comes to the beach boys <laughs> <laughs> all right i'll give you that yeah um 
So Little Bird, and it became a B-side. They, oh yeah, the, the vocal session, or at least the mix session, was at Western Studio 3, one of the only times Brian went back there in um, the late 60s. And I think this was the day that like Elvis was doing some stuff, and Brian and, I, and Bruce and Al went to visit Elvis, but Brian was like too scared to go see him or something. And um, the next time Brian was in a studio with Elvis, that did not happen. He Karate shop. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it traumatized him. and uh, just scared him away uh, while he was playing a aggressively... Um, bizarre version of Ding Dang. Uh, <laughs> oh, that, that's a long few episodes in the future. <laughs> okay, so um, we've got a few versions of the other song Dennis wrote for Friends that we don't really have dates for, or from the final one, which has got something questionable about it. About it, but um, we're just gonna go through them all together, I guess. So, do you know the story of, of when this one was written? Essentially, this was just written on another day. Um, Colinich was spending a lot of time around the the Beach Boys, and he was hanging out a lot with Dennis and Carl and Brian. Although he was only really writing with Dennis, and um, I think he said "Little Bird" was ri- written in the in the main house, and this one was written like outside or something. Yeah, I think I, I, again, this is a poem that he had that Dennis was putting music to. Rather than um, you know two people writing a song together organically, which is how like Brian worked with uh, Tony Asher and Van Dyke Parks, it was simply Dennis taking words that were already there and and mm-hmm. you know putting melodies to them, which is the way Brian wrote with um, Roger Christian. So this song was much simpler than Little Bird. It, it's it's about you know what similarly. It, I should say it's similar to what Dennis had written for Little Bird. It's just a basic little melody over a few chords, chords that you know Brian would never write, just because this is such a different style. Mm. And it's just a soft, meditative little song. And they tried out a few different versions before the final one ended up sticking. They did uh, three versions of this song, and um, one thing I should say as well is because it was about Stephen Collins having this sort of stillness practice, which was like kind of. It wasn't transcendental meditation, but the Beach Boys were, you know, they, they appreciated that he had some sort of similar thing to meditation going on. And this was a song sort of about that. And the full title was Be Still and Know You Are. Um, so mm-hmm. they did three versions. And the first one, which I think was recorded soon after Little Bird, but we don't have a date for it again, still hasn't been released. Um, still wasn't, it wasn't put on the 68 compilation for um, who knows why. But this was the first attempt of the song, and it was quite. Um, not too far away from the way it ended up coming out, but it was not an organ thing. It was this was Dennis playing Brian's piano in a studio. Brian wasn't there for, but he don't know what Brian was doing. But he wasn't in the room. Carl playing this sort of mellow electric guitar, and Al was playing bass. And uh, it was structured a bit differently. They went through like one verse and then had that sort of now is the time life begins bridge, and then into another verse instead. And it was even slower than the organ version. It was like a very lethargic thing. Um, so so they knocked out that track that I mean hopefully it will be released one day it's uh, just you know it's just interesting to hear the evolution of the way they did it and then the second version oh but, but okay before we talk about the second version there's another song that we forgot to cover um, which is sort of relates back to the early batch which is an, a second version of You're As Cool As Can Be um, which is uh, again we've got no date for it but it's on the same tape as that first version of uh, be still. Craig hasn't heard the session tape for this one, and uh, we don't. So we don't know 
who's playing on it, but it's at least Brian on clavinet, and then alongside that, you've got organ, drums, and bass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, possibly just the Beach Boys again. Potentially, but... yeah, but it's a much tighter track than those other Beach Boys only ones. It is. It's suspiciously tight, so... takes a, a piece of I'm Confessing, the track that Brian had, d- had done, you know, first thing for this album, and it also takes the circular progression of You're As Cool As Can Be and makes that the chorus, um, but it has the same sort yeah. of bouncy, aren't you glad, cool, cool water feel as I'm Confessing. And yeah, once again, this did not get finished, so no melody on top, so cannot know how it would have eventually gone but it's a it's a great it's, track. A, it's again a, co- a cool little combination of of songs he was doing kind of like the time to get alone that um you know is another song yeah makes yeah. time to get alone it's it's um brian throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what worked and this one just didn't go any further for whatever reason yeah it was released on the box set as um i'm confessing slash you're as cool as can be one but we're fairly sure this was like the second iteration of that and it was just called you're as cool as can be it wasn't like didn't have the you know the medley title in it it was just considered a second version of like an evolution of whatever that song was um i guess it would have had the you know it was your schools can be used progression became the chorus so i guess it would have been used the yeah. title from there and then i don't know what the lyrics would have been but um yeah and it's it's a really like nice groove on this song as well it's it's it got i don't know it's it, we should talk about the keyboards that they upgraded the home studio with at this point they they sort of expanded their inventory of the things they were playing with you know they started to move away from the brian's been relying on his sort of detune piano in a while but they get a lot of new and the baldwin organ as well but they get a lot of new to- things to play with they get hammond b3 organ um to bring on tour with them all these things they would bring on tour with them when they weren't using it in the studio but they went back to that the, the baldwin was sort of being pushed aside a little bit when Rhyme has gone back to the more traditional organ sounds that he'd been using in the studio for years. And they got um, a clavinet, a Model C, according to Steve Dasper, um, which is the same thing Stevie Wonder used on like Superstition. It's that great sort of funk keyboard sound. And uh, mm-hmm. they also got a thing called an RMI Roxichord, which is an amazing name for an instrument, which was sort of this electric <laughs> piano, this very versatile electric piano that shows up on loads of Beach Boy stuff in the next couple of years. Uh, and it can sound like sort of like an electric harpsichord or it can have the sort of like muted electric piano sound and it can sound like a clavinet as well. And this shows up on a lot of friends things and it sort of becomes like his new sort of plunky keyboard sound instead of like, a, I don't know, a harpsichord or attack piano. He starts. Yeah. He's, he's, he, his two main or his, I guess his three main things become the, the clavinet, the, the rock chord, and then his, of course his own piano. Mm. Yeah. So so here we get There's some organ here and there. Yeah, so here we get a great example of Brian playing a clavinet, and it's, it's it's great. Like the left hand part and the way he sort of just I don't know. It's it's a it's a really tight sounding track, and this is the one that of the, of all the friends outtakes, this is the one that I wish had a vocal the most because you know I can I can 
I just think it's such it's so different to any any of the others. Yeah, it's funky. It's 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 cool due to the the clavinet and and the like just the groove of the whole thing. It's got that that bridge that sort of breaks things breaks things down and and the beat stops and it's really neat. I love that track. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. So this. So then, let's you, talk about the next. The, the next, next B still. Yeah, the next B still, which again we have no date for, but we think it was probably recorded at ID Sound, which is a studio that Brian went to um, in LA the, uh, for for some of this friend stuff and a few things in the next few years. Again, Brian was kind of avoiding the settings that he used for the last few years, like Gold Star and Columbia and and Western. So ID Sound was like another new studio he was trying out that a lot of this friend stuff was done in, and. Um, so, so this track apparently started, Craig said, the, the full session for this one. started out with um, Dennis playing piano, Al playing electric guitar, and Bruce playing bass. Um, so that's already an interesting lineup, just to have those three on it. But then he said very quickly, Carl, Carl sort of starts playing drums. And then Brian pretty much takes over the session and starts playing along on the rocks accord along with Dennis's piano. Um, so it's this sort of nice combined keyboard sound by the end of it. And so... Brian basically produced and arranged this version, whenever it was from. Yeah, and they didn't finish this one. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. Obviously, it wasn't satisfying to them. I'm not. Huge mm. on this track. It's Me pretty neither. simple, it's, and it's, it's it's sort of it takes the 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 thing out of be still that makes it be still. It's you know this sort of standard like it's not still. <laughs> it's not still. It's not still. This sort of like up tempo thing, and then this like hitting the the back on the sort of backbeat drum emphasis again, which doesn't really work for the song. It's like it's not that kind of thing. It's a very stock arrangement, I think. Right, and. uh so, hey, just hey, maybe maybe this was done in Western when they did the Little Bird stuff. I didn't even think about that. All we know is it wasn't the home studio because it's the wrong piano sound. But who knows? Who knows? Oh, good, good, uh, good point. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they were trying to make it like a, a B side or something. Yeah. That's oh wow. A little bird I, single. I just thought of that right on the spot. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> All right. Okay, so we got to the final version of of, of B still. We'll have to was, look into that. We will, yeah. So, so we got to the final version of Be Still that came out on the album, and uh, the only one that has a vocal. Uh, again, we've got no date for it. There's an AFM contract, and there's a Capital worksheet that says it was recorded April 13th, which was impossible because Dennis was away on tour when that happened. And uh, we've, through some assumption, we've, you know, it's been thought that maybe that meant like April 3rd, and it was a typo. But I think that's kind of a reach and kind of just like trying to come up with a convenient answer for it. I don't think we can know when this was recorded for sure it might have been april 3rd who knows there was a gap there where they could have done it but all we really know about it is it was at brian's house and it's on the same tape that that first version of transcendental meditation was on and uh this was just brian playing his ball of an organ and dennis singing live and i think it's really really beautiful when when do you get when else do you get that you know brian playing organ on a dennis song and dennis just singing along you know you know you are be still Longer on that. Oh, your life is beautiful. I see. 
I think it should be a little faster. You listen to the session outtake on the Wake the World release. It's really nice to hear them like working out the the lead vocal. I mean, you you don't you don't really hear that on on anything because everything is overdubbed, and it's it's uh really cool to picture just you know it's not Dennis playing and and singing alone. It's 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 Brian playing the keyboard part and coming up with that little ascending uh <laughs> thing between the the verses and yeah it's, it's great to hear like dennis saying maybe you should take that bit a bit faster like they're really working together and dennis is sort of you know it's it's like the, the two brothers sort of producing a song together in a, in a really simple nice way and uh i think this is by far the best version it really suits the just the organ and, and the voice i feel you know i've had some people when that set came out thought like oh I wish be still used that like more produced track, and it's like no, that's not the point. It's I think I think that what's so special about this is it's just the just the vocal and organ. I mean, you don't hear many Beach Boys tracks that are just a single instrument and a voice, like a, a solo performance almost. Yeah, totally. if it wasn't Brian playing the organ, and it's it sounds it sounds so peaceful. Dennis sings it beautifully. That's another thing as well. Both on little bit in this is Dennis has really found his voice at this point. You kind of had some awkward years where Brian didn't use him so much because he was was the hardest one to get to do what Brian wanted. But now he's really found his own singing style, that sort of whispered croak that he, he has going, and he sounds fantastic. It's the first time you Dennis's voice is really sort of coming alive. I said before that uh, Smiley Smile is kind of, I think, where all their voices peaked, but besides Dennis and Carl to me. Mm. I mean, yeah, Dennis, with his songwriting, because um, he, he writes songs with... Um, what am I trying to say here? He writes songs that, he, that he, he sings while he writes them, and he develops so much as a lead singer instead of just a harmony vocalist and i think it's really evident here the way he like um kind of hits those high notes really softly just by kind of croaking them out is yeah really beautiful yeah it's so unlike any of the other beach boys it's so unique he's really got i mean i think um my only sunshine you get a good hint of the way he's going with this but this is the first time he's really you know becoming the dentist that we know of like forever and all these songs and i think by 71 when he was doing a solo album he was like this is that was sort of his peak as a lead singer. He sounds fantastic by that stuff. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I, interesting to to note that he doesn't really sing like the other Beach Boys on his own tracks here. He's he's kind of doing this, um, and you know it's it's continuing in the in the Wild Honey uh, format of not doubling the the vocals. Mm. Like Le- Little Bird and Be Still both have that single tracked uh, more intimate sound to them yeah yeah and i think uh i think dennis as as he was trying to to come out as a songwriter and as a as a producer and a and in everything and a, a lead vocalist he was trying to get away from sort of the the brian way of doing things he was writing his own own style of songs writing his own kind of melodies and, and chord progressions and singing in his own way and you know you don't when you have a, a genius songwriter older brother 
and you you start doing things on your own you want to kind of differentiate yourself from um you know what you grew up doing and yeah and it's really successful here i mean this is this is a beautiful song yeah it's it's i mean it's incredible they you know for so long so many years they've had brian wilson as the sole songwriter of the beach boys and then dennis comes along and he's like this good like so quickly yeah so quickly yeah and this thing there's some interview from i think 67 or 66 where brian's talking about the other beach boys and he thinks he wants to start writing with carl soon which i thought was interesting because that didn't really happen but yeah but yeah i think to brian carl was the one who sort of showed the most obvious promise he was always in the studio with them and he was really brian really trusted his opinion on musical things and he sort of expected that carl was going to be the one to come out and start being the the next songwriter of the group eventually because i think he always had that plan even before he started to step away he was one of the others to start writing and i think dennis sort of just snuck up on him and he was really the brother that you didn't expect to 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 take that on and he was like did it in such an unexpected way and he becomes such an interesting sort of unique voice in the beach boys in the next few years um yeah yeah very unexpected the drummer who's always trying to get out of session work <laughs> oh yeah yeah so so what Stephen kalanich did with this poem it was a short poem that dennis then turned into a song and then after this Stephen um expanded it into like a much longer poem um and then on this world of peace must come album which they recorded in 69 and 1970 he did a reading of this longer poem with brian's improvising on the organ behind him and they have this fun little conversation beforehand where they talk about this song being on the album and uh they, it's like it's, it's it's like so fake and he's he's like brian's like hey i'm gonna put, go play the organ and he just does and it's i yeah i, I love the the, the fake spontaneity <laughs> the, the brian gets on his yeah it's great day. yeah oh be still and know you are wasn't that a wasn't that a cut on that was a cut on our album wasn't it it, it was a cut on the friends album on the friends beach album. boys friends album Dennis sang the lead, didn't he? Yeah, and Dennis wrote it with me. You wrote a poem on that, didn't you? Yeah, I wrote a poem called uh, "Be Still as a Thought to Live By." I thought it was, I thought it was such a meaningful song that I wanted, just didn't want to let it stop. But a song I wanted okay. to turn into something. Do you want me to play some organ on it? Or do you want to? Yeah, do why don't it why don't you? Uh, I'll play some organ. You want to do it now? Play the organ now, okay? Okay. And uh, so, so one more thing that was on the same tape as Be Still and we think was recorded the same day in a very similar style was a cover of the Burt Bacharach and Hal David song, My Little Red Book, which Brian's gone on to say that is one of his favorite songs. Two, three, four. I just took out my little red book the minute that you said goodbye. Yes, so this one is just um, Brian playing piano and singing live with Carl playing bass behind him. It's Carl, right? I think so, yeah. You can hear Carl in the control room on Be Still, so it's like, who else would it be on this one? Which is, I think, pretty clearly recorded the same day. It's on the same tape, and it's the same live singing in Brian's house. Yeah, so um, really interesting here. I don't know if he wanted to put this on the Friends album or if it was just something he did with the opportunity but i love i love his singing on this one I love it's so, it so much. um you know on brian wilson it's he's just doing a funny little voice and 
It's great. It's a, it's a great. It's a great listen. It's a yeah. It's it's a, it's a great thing. I wish there was some drums on this or, you know, if you, but it's I I really love his vocal. It's kind of kind of silly, but it's also when he it's really passionate and like emotional when he's getting into the end of the chorus. He gets like he's really going for it. He gets some rasp in his voice, which you don't normally get when he's like he's sort of I don't know. He's doing that sort of like he, with the way Brian's voice when he yells. It's sort of like it it kind of cuts, but it doesn't normally like get that sort of like tearing sort of quality that like Dennis gets when he gets raspy but Brian gets a little bit of that when he yells in the chorus in this one um, and he yeah just, the, <laughs> the way he ends it is is pretty funny too he just like slows down and it's he makes it so dramatic like oh, oh, oh. Yeah. it's just so funny yeah the and then and, like the high part is like <laughs> like <laughs> something that, yeah, yeah it's 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 great it's I'm, I'm so glad they they released this finally While I held them, all I did was talk about you. Call your name and I, I start to cry. There's just no getting over you. Oh, it's a great window I always just imagine this is what Brian was like when he had like guests over and stuff he's at the piano banging out like Baccarat tunes and singing in this sort of funny little voice but he's got so much like passion behind it and he's I don't know he's had such a great voice at this point this is like towards this this year is the last time that he had that that same voice and before it started to you know he started to lose it by a couple of notches but yeah so there's no odds through um, myth about when this was recorded based on it coming out on like a smile bootleg where it was assumed to be like February '67 or something, and uh, yeah, but it's from the friend sessions. It's from whenever they did be still, whenever that was. Maybe it was April third. Yes. Maybe it was some other point in April. Oh no, sorry, not April. I mean March. I don't know, but here we are, and it would have been. Here we are. Yeah, here we are. Next time we're going to get into the, the, the main album sessions, and uh, yes, this was more of a, a friends outtakes episode with a yeah. with the two Dennis songs that made the cut. Yeah, this is this is friends part part zero point five. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so you know after this, Brian's going to pick up in the same vein that he did Little Bird and do a whole bunch of studio musician tracks, and that's going to be that's going to make up the main portion of the album. So. Excited. Yeah, we'll see you guys next time. Not long until we get to the good stuff. We've this is this is the good stuff. It's all good stuff, but like the really good stuff. <laughs> you keep saying that. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> next time. Huge thanks to Will and John. Good to have them back. We'll have more from them next month as we continue our friendship. I hope you will join us. Until then, check us out in all the old familiar places. Links in the show notes. You know the drill. Be still and know you are. Hang on to your ego. And sail on, sailors.
a peaceful album inspired by meditation, which is why I'm doing it. Okay, we can stop this now. Okay, so where do we start? Um... <laughs>